Welcome to When Lambs Are Silent, the podcast. It's awesome to be back. This is Aaron, and we've also got our mate here, Dale. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back, Dale. Thank you. You, it's, you too. It's been a long time, but it's been longer for you because, like, what happened to you last series? You just sort longer of like, for dropped, me. You dropped off the face of the earth. Remember? What? I, there was another series. I was no, I'm you were not. I'm I don't know what happened. What have you been doing, bro? Um. Oh man, all sorts and and not much at all at the same time. Mm. You know, it is family work, studies. I'm done with that now, though, so that's ah. good. All great. Yeah, you're a finished. proud owner of what? Like a what's your, of, of, what's a, your... of a bachelor degree? Yep. <sighs> yep. Yep. Good what to be a, finished. What a scholar! And now I can just do whatever I want. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll talk. I mean, just the context right now. We're we're back in level four, right? Um, hmm. Ironically, we started this whole shebang when level four started so you know how was it level four yeah we're in the bro come on no no, no not are we in level four now i mean like did oh, it start when we were okay in? yeah no i was like, man started. where have you been yeah no no back in level four we were in level four when we started this so it's like deja vu right true there yeah i remember talking about lockdown but i couldn't remember if it was because it had already happened or uh, well okay so you can thank the lockdown for one once again the the presence of our presence right um anyway yeah lockdown i mean this is quite a it's an interesting series and the timing once again is interesting we're speaking about youth homelessness over the next sort of few weeks um on the show and i mean if you've been listening to the show you know that this is my drum that i beat all the time and i can, <laughs> I, I will continue um but you know one of the interesting things is is that we know um I mean, you know, for myself today, we've been trying to house young people who are sort of out there sleeping rough and are experiencing homelessness. And yeah, so it's a, it's a one that's, it's a, it's a topic that's close to my heart, right? Um, mm. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be speaking with um, members of Manake Rangatahi. Manake Rangatahi is a collective that I am privileged to be a part of that's working towards ending youth homelessness in Aotearoa. Um, and we're going to talk to some really amazing people around what they're doing to bring about that reality of an Aotearoa where all of our rangatahi have safe, secure, um, supported accommodation and that none of our young people have to live on our streets. So, yeah, it's really exciting, I think, to, to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to it um, and hopefully you enjoy it too. So uh, we're about to jump into it. I mean, what do you think about the topic? This is kind of... I mean, you hear me bleeding on about it all the yeah. time, I'm sure, Dale, but I mean, what's your sort of first reactions coming into this conversation? Yeah, it's something you can't, you can't avoid just working through, just through the city, just while studying at AUT, I've been in the city and just walking all around. I mean, I, when I'm not sort of just beelining for the bus to get home as, as fast as possible, and I've actually had a time to walk down Queen Street and walk through all the, the side streets, it's been quite glaring just to see the increase in the amount of people on the streets and in every little doorway. Yeah, it's, it's quite shocking. And you can imagine that if it's happening for adults, it'll be happening to young people as well. And, you know, I can't just, I can't imagine what it would be like at, at 16, 17, 18, being on the streets. Jeez, I would not be able to handle it. <laughs> so it's, it's something that I think can impact everyone. Everyone has someone that's young, that's close to them, if they can imagine in being in that situation. Um, not having access to safe and adequate housing. Thanks, bro. And like, I guess just for a bit of context, you know, sometimes when I bring up youth homelessness, people are like, oh, you know, 
God, adults are homeless too, you know. Um, <laughs> a reality is, and, and this will probably come up as a shock to you. Um, I know it's a shock for me when I first discovered this, is that actually there's way more support if you're an adult um, than if you're a young person. So like if me and Dale end up on the street tonight, like we'll get way more support than if like our 16 year old cousin, sister, brother ends up on the street. And that's, I mean, that's heartbreaking and it's also just not okay, you know? So, you know, we'll be exploring that a little bit as we go through around why some of those gaps exist for our young people and um, why our rangatahi are being disproportionately harmed as a result of, I guess, you know, systemic neglect. Um, but we'll, we'll jump into that. Um, just like as a preference for this conversation. So, um, you know, in this quarter all, we started, uh, you know, I thought it was important to start with, I guess, some of the deeper issues that, that sit beneath homelessness in Aotearoa. Um, and so we talk a little bit about sort of colonization and the impacts of that. And, you know, some of the quarter is pretty straight. And I just want to encourage you that if um, maybe this is something still you're going on a journey with and, you know, maybe there'll be some things that sort of hit you and you're like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know how I feel. Like, just sit with it, you know. And when lambs are silent, like we talk about like to listen is to love, right? So I just want to encourage you, sit through the discomfort, listen, um, just hear it, you know, and you don't need to agree with everything, but just listen to it. And, you know, let's walk through this conversation together. Um, you know, like we will share this across our socials. Really love to hear your feedback, your your facado. Um, and if you want to keep that conversation going, you know, let's do that. But I just encourage you to hear it, listen, and you know, we'll we'll unpack it in the end. Bianca Johansson is our guest today. Um, she is a social worker trained. She has for like, I guess the last, you know, she's done a lot in her, her life um, of note. Uh, but, you know, right now she's the collective um, steering group um, coordinator. So she coordinates Manakirangata. She's the one that makes this happen. Um, and I'm really privileged to get to work alongside her. Really privileged to know her. And she's a fierce advocate. Uh, for our rangatahi and for systemic change in our country, um, a force to be reckoned with, I'd say. So yeah, it's just a real privilege that we get to have her on the show um, today. So yeah, I really hope you enjoy the show. Sit back, grab a cup of tea, coffee. Um, I've got mine. Dale, you got yours? Mm-hmm. As always. Sweet. Well, let's get into it. All right. Um, yeah, kia ora, um, Bianca. Welcome to Winlands of Silent, the podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing as good as I can be. Thank you so much, Aaron. Awesome. Do you want to like just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Kia ora. Well, uh, call Bianca Johansson, aka B. Call me B. Uh, aho. Um, no hokianga whakapau karakia, kia manaka. Um, I am B, call me B. Um, I'm from Murufenua up in the far north there. Manako Hirakino. Manako is my marae. Um, and that's the real Manako. Like there's Manako in South Auckland, but this is Manako right up in the far north there by Ahipara. Yeah. Um, what else would you like to know about me? Yeah, well, what, what's your what's your mahi? What do you what do you do every day with your life? <laughs> every day with my life, I do too many things, actually, Aaron. Um, this is but true. What, yeah, this is true. Um, 
Okay, so my background, um, and just to position myself within our kōrero, is that um, first and foremost, um, I am adopted. I was adopted into a Pākehā family in the closed stranger adoption era from the 50s to the 80s. So I'm one of those babies, one of those morihu, one of those survivors from that um, transracial adoption era. And that led me into um, a healing kaupapa of being a social worker. So I've been a social worker um, about 23 years, um, possibly more, but I've lost count. I probably stopped counting, actually. Um, my mahi is I am the Youth Strategy and Development Coordinator with LifeWise Trust. And I also coordinate Manaki Rangatahi, which is the only youth housing and homelessness collective in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Kia ora. And um, yeah, I mean, we have the privilege of working together, don't we, Be My privilege, of course. <laughs> My privilege too, Ewa. Um, Yes, we do. We, we both work at LifeWise and um, working alongside of our rangatahi and you do a lot of that hard operational yards and I'm doing the kind of strategy stuff that you support me with as a member of Manaki Rangatahi and LifeWise. So yeah, both trying to prevent and end youth homelessness in Aotearoa, 100%. Good. And we'll talk about Manaki Rangatahi um, a little bit later, but um, yes. I mean, before we sort of get into our kōrero, like um, what what's, makes you passionate about this work? Why, you know, I mean, you could do so many things. Um, why mm -hmm. have you decided to devote your life to ending youth homelessness? To devote my every waking hour to thinking about it, dreaming about it and, and how we can end it. Um, I have always had a passion for rangatahi. I started out as a rangatahi worker. I was pretty much a rangatahi when I started in my social work career. And actually, when I came into this mahi, and I was invited into this mahi by the amazing Hai Hai Tu Barrett, who's the regional manager for LifeWise in Rotorua, um, I didn't realise how just ignored this issue was and how um, just underfunded and under-recognised um, youth homelessness and homelessness in general was as a kaupapa so I think that made me more passionate to really do something about um, you know this this problem and this human rights issue and when I knew it was a human rights issue as well that really just motivated me even more to want to um, you know to help end it and I believed as other others believe um, that we can end youth homelessness in Aotearoa. We have that potential there, which makes me want to, you know, go for that and, and do that even more. Um, being an adopted person, um, I also felt a lot of synergy and compassion for our rangatahi that are in our youth housing, a lot of them coming from um, care or being adopted or just... Um, just people that are ignored a lot by society. And I really related to that as, um, as an adopted person and what actually happens to a lot of adoptees and Māori adoptees and their disconnection from um, whānau. Kia ora. Thanks for that, B. Um, so, yeah, when we talk about youth homelessness, and there's, we, we're going to unpack it in detail throughout the course of the series. 
Um, but I guess I wanted to, I guess, center it a little bit and, and I guess start from the beginning. There's often some corridor around homelessness, especially for Arangatahi, which is that, hey, um, these young people are homeless because of, you know, their individual poor choices or, you know, their whanau, you know, their individual poor choices. It becomes this really individual thing. And I guess from my perspective, it, it often feels like our rangatahi and our whanau are blamed for the experiences they're having. But is there a, is there a larger context to this um, from your perspective? Is there something deeper maybe that is driving, you know, homelessness in Aotearoa? Um, what would you say to that? Gosh, the answer to that question is very complex and it has many, many layers to it. And within an Aotearoa context and the fact that most of our rangatahi are rangatahi Māori, the breaches and breakdown of te tiriti or waitangi, the impacts and effects of colonisation and assimilation, um, disconnection from whenua, the urban um, migration that happened. Yeah, there is just so many layers to, to that question and so many layers in terms of the answer. But definitely the breakdown of te tiriti and everything that has come as a result of that, the removal of whānau, from their whenua, acts of violence against um, whānau, hapu and iwi, the urban drift and urbanisation, you know, that's in a more historical context, but also the poor policies, decades and decades of terrible policies that have meant that Māori and now non-Māori um, are facing um, housing deprivation on a massive scale. So yeah, a lot, lot in that. You know, when we think historically, because, you know, you mentioned before the disproportionate number of Māori that are experiencing homelessness, like we know from, from our mm. service, don't we, be that, uh, say, 80 to 90% of rangatahi that try to access our service are Māori, right, which is crazy. And the question for me, is that an accident? You know, so when you think of, say, like our history, is there anything that you think of, any stories or um, points in our history that you could see quite connected? to what we're seeing on our streets today? Mm, I think every iwi has their own story mm -hmm. that contributes, and I think that every region has um, homelessness now. I don't think there's anywhere in Aotearoa that isn't affected by homelessness. It, it affects everyone now. But in terms of the stories and the history, um, you know, I'll start with myself. I mean, you know, people that were people that were adopted and, you know, people that were removed from whānau, a lot of assimilation policies. There was a lot of assimilation that happened, um, especially to my mother's generation, which are the children of um, the soldiers, those that went to war and, and came back and all of that, you know, all of that disconnection that happened for a lot of our soldiers when they returned. Um, you're looking at around the 50s there, a whole lot of broken promises and, you know, coming back to nothing and then um, having no industry in their area and having to move into the cities and then just being bewildered by that experience and then um, coming back from war and having carrying a lot of um, PTSD and trauma and violence. And if we go back a bit further, a lot of, uh, you know, the land wars and Māori being legislated out of our lands, Māori being slaughtered and killed and forcibly removed off whenua for trying to fight for their whenua, you know, that greed and that hunger to obtain more land, to obtain more of our whenua, you know, to give to people that were 
were um, migrating here. And that was when, you know, I think it's only about seven years after Tiriti was signed that the government just totally, at the time that was forming, just totally ignored it. It just became a massive land grab in Aotearoa. And all the legislation, all the acts that have come off that related to grabbing land and stealing land um, and confiscating land has meant that Māori have, you know, essentially become lost millions and millions of acres of land and become houseless, homeless in a sense in their own whenua. But I don't believe that we can ever be homeless as, as tangata whenua in Aotearoa because we always have we always have our whenua in connection to that whenua, whether it's in our actual, you know, Westminster law system and in, in, in that, whether we have it in the paperwork or not. But yeah, it's it's very multi-layered, very multi-layered, all of the reasons why our rangatahi are now in this um, situation of being homeless and without whānau and disconnected from whānau because our rangatahi aren't coming to us because they're just you know, they're just homeless and they don't have any homes or whānau or connection. It's, it's you know, there's just so many different reasons as to why our rangatahi can't be at home at the moment. As, as you're aware, many of them are coming through the um, transitioning out of care, out of the care system into, into dependence and a, a particular social worker or someone that's been caring for them as a child has not kept that connection with whānau hapu iwi, with their identity, with connection back into whānau. So there's, there's just so many poor policies and poor actions and poor support for our rangatahi. They've been incredibly, um, they've been incredibly mismanaged and let down across the spectrum. And some of our rangatahi that are not with Oranga Tamariki, of course, coming to us from whānau in situations where, you know, things are quite unhealthy at home. And there's been lots of interventions, but as our rangatahi have been children, they've, they've seen lots of social services come over, but there's been a lot of inaction and, and probably some poor interventions that have occurred. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of an earful I'm I'm giving you or sharing with everybody, but it, it's just kind of touching the surface of, you know, just some of those factors that impact as to why our rangatahi are, you know, making up the biggest numbers of homeless, of the homeless cohort in Aotearoa. Um, what would you say to someone that sort of looks at um, rangatahi homelessness and, you know, looks at whānau that maybe are struggling and that's, you know, we talk about the home often not being a safe place, right? Um, what would you say to someone that says, oh, well, those family just, you know, the whānau just needs to make better choices. You know, they're obviously, yeah. they need to sort themselves out. That's that's the problem. What, what would you say to them? Yeah, I often, you know, I often hear them on or see them writing online, you know, when we've done an interview or we've put up a Facebook post, you know, someone wants to um, blame Fano for the predicament that they're in. And, you know, what I would say is that there's so much discrimination and racism and inst institutionally racist throughout the system that you normal people in Aotearoa, unless you work in the system, have no idea how unfair and discriminatory it is, and especially if you're a young Māori person. 
that whānau want to be good whānau. They want to parent well and, you know, have connection to each other, to their own tamariki and rangatahi. You know, they want all of that and so does young person. All young people that I've ever spoken to, all rangatahi, you know, want to be at home. They want to be with whānau. They don't want to be living in supported youth housing or in a motel or anything like that. You know, no young person does. You know, and, and a lot of times it's because, you know, whānau just haven't been able to access the correct support. But, you know, there's a massive whakapapa as to why that support is needed for whānau. And, you know, a lot of them have come from their own, come from care systems or prison or whatever. And, you know, really my personal view of it is that a lot of our whānau have had a lot of violation in their whakapapa. And that original violation that happened generations before, you know, there hasn't been a lot of healing and it hasn't come, you know, it, it has essentially come from our whānau systems being broken down through, you know, a number of factors, um, urbanisation being a big part of that. And as I mentioned before, a lot of the effects of the war and the PTSD and the trauma and, the, and the, just the trauma of being um, marched off your land or having, you know, hundreds and even more people killed or raped and violated through different in, invasions by colonial troops. Um, people still suffering from the impacts and effects of that. But it's very, very difficult to describe or even share all of that in just one kind of statement, do you know? What I mean, like one answer, it's 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 much more complex. And I'm only speaking from my from my knowing and experience. Everybody has their own experience of that. But I know for me, as one person that has been, you know, as I've as I've stated earlier, that you know, as an adopted Māori person, I too should have been homeless as a young person. You know, there's no reason why I shouldn't have had that experience because that was a really, really tough experience or any adopted person for that matter, especially those of us that were transracially adopted. Um, it's only through sheer luck and a few good choices that that wasn't my, that wasn't the outcome for me as well. Got and, and following on from that, that quarter around trauma and I guess the whakapapa of trauma, which you sort of mentioned, I, I was talking to someone recently who was really struggling with an idea that, um, that trauma can be passed down generationally if you were sort of having that conversation with you know that person because you know there's people that don't work in our sector and, and you know we talk about trauma every single day right um but but not everyone does you know how would you how would you describe that to, to someone that's sort of just trying to wrestle with the idea that trauma can be passed down from generation to generation as far back as 200 years ago yeah i think that to to describe it to someone or give evidence to somebody who, you know, needs some research and evidence. There has been some scientific evidence about cells, cellular memory of trauma being passed down to the baby. And I think more of that science and evidence is becoming, you know, more and more researched and correct and, and you know, being put out there that if we can pass down diseases to our children and if we can pass down diseases to our our babies and our children to our whakapapa to our whānau why would we not pass down also you know mental health issues and trauma it would stand to reason for me that you know those things too 
um, are passed down because oftentimes a lot of people that have, say, for instance, you know, really struggle with addiction issues or a particular mental health issue, you know, it's often, they say, passed down to the children or, you know, the children of, of people with um, mental health issues are more likely themselves to have, you know, to struggle with those with those issues as well. So it stands to reason that how we how we cope with trauma, you know, that that's coming out in mental health and addiction issues. You know, that is all trauma. So that's evidenced and researched. That research is out there. Awesome. Well, not awesome, but yeah, it makes it <laughs> yeah, makes it's sense, a fact. Right? Yeah, a, a colonial colonial um, violations and trauma and you know all of those impacts that stay within our stories within our tribal stories and history you know you only have to read about go and read a Waitangi tribunal report from it from a particular iwi that's been through a settlement process to hear about the impacts on the collective you know of, of the trauma and the violence that's happened to hapu and iwi you know, over the last couple of hundred years mm. and how it's impacted on the people and continues to and always will. So you, you've talked about, um, I guess, how obviously the land theft and and, and the disposition of whenua, uh, of the whenua, which has happened uh, over the years, is, is, is definitely been a contributing factor and, and the trauma that's come down, which is also a contributing factor to that is impacting on our rangatahi and, and their experiences of homelessness. In what other ways do you see colonization has had an impact or is still impacting on our rangatahi today? I think it's the fact that we haven't got to a place of being fully supported to decolonize as whānau, hapu and iwi. Um, we do have whānau water. We do have a lot of awesome um, interventions that are out there, you know, for Māori, by Māori, kaupapa Māori interventions. But we actually need to be, you know, we actually need that funding at a collective level to see any impacts on, you know, for whānau and healing. And so it's the decolonization. It's the decolonization for me that needs to happen through a lot of education. You know, most 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 of us, Māori and non-Māori, do not even know the full history that happened in, in their own in their own iwi, in the, in the areas that we're living in and that we come from, we don't understand our full history. So, you know, all of those have impacts on us. You, you, can't, you can't heal what you don't know, can't heal what you don't understand and how it has impacted on your whānau, like understanding the violations that have happened to your whānau, the tools, you know, Indigenous Māori tools on how do you go about healing that. What would you like to see? You know, I mean, how do we fix this? What what's the what's the next step? What would you like to see happen? I would like to see happen that um, we, as you know, as Māori as a people, our rangatahi, you know, that we're given the resources to be able to to heal those violations, to heal that trauma, um, and each hapu, each iwi has you know its own way of of doing that by looking to the original teachings of our tūpuna our tūpuna can guide us on you know what is the best advice and information particular to your region 
about how you go about doing that. You know, um, I think Eduardo Duran, I'm quoting a lot of his um, co-papa here. He's a Native American um, psychotherapist that works in his own tribal area, not doing psychotherapy, but healing from his own tribal indigenous perspective, healing violations. And it's for all of us to understand that original violation. But in terms of housing and homelessness, and, and in terms of our rangatahi, you know, we need to have Māori, our own people, coming up with solutions, you know, around this issue. And, of course, looking at how do we decolonise our rangatahi, how do we, you know, tell those stories of violations that happen, how do we go back and heal those violations, how do we um, whakawātea, the space where violations happen in terms of, you know, clearing that space, you know, so that everybody understands. I think a lot of times when our, when anybody learns about the full history of Te Tiriti, what happened to them and their whānau and their hapu, it gives you clarity as to the situation that you're in with your own whānau. Oh, that's why, you know, we are, we struggle with these issues around abuse or addiction or, you know, mental health issues or suicide or whatever it is. That's why we're having that struggle because this happened to my great grandmother or this, you know, and, and then things happened from that point on. We need to tell the stories. We need to share the stories and we need to go back and heal those violations. And I've always thought that that was the solution. I've always felt that that's a solution. But being able to do that as Fano and Hapu together um, with our rangatahi, with our tamariki there and, and understanding all of those stories together is actually a very, um, you know, it's a big undertaking. But I think we've got the potential to, you know, to start it and, and have it happen, have some action around it. It's always been something that I would love to do and start with my own, start with my own whanau. That's beautiful, mate. Um, what would you like, I mean, what is, what would you like to see treaty partners um, doing to, to, I guess, support the, the mahi, to support this? What do you think we should yeah, be that's doing? A great, that's a great question because, you know, we are in a partnership. First of all, I think it's for our te tiriti partners to also understand the history of the whenua that they live in and live on and the regions that they're in, you know, to know more about the patch that they're working in and living on and to reorientate um, I think there's a really key word that gets used at the moment a buzzword of pivot we need to re-pivot and we need to pivot our services and our ways of working in a way that um, is, is about healing is about healing for Māori is holistic is indigenous is Māori is kaupapa Māori thinking and is led by Māori you know, um, and that that upskilling and that education and that awareness for our te tiriti partners to, you know, to be able to do that um, alongside of us. But it starts with a lot of education and a lot of willingness. And actually, colonisation affects our, has affected our te tiriti partners as well as the colonize as part of the colonisers as part of the crown or here because of those because of those invasions and and the privilege that was you know given to our te tiriti partners as a result of that having awareness and understanding all of that so that you can sit at the table with us and we can all. we can have hui and all. we can dialogue 
you know, this is this is how we sit together to make solutions of healing. I love how you um, how you lay that vision out. You know, of I guess true partnership and and coming together and healing. You know, because there is so much healing that needs to happen both for um, both for Pakia as, as alongside you know Maori. I think, mm. um, and you named that quite well. You know, what is what has happened to Pakia and that we allow these injustices to continue and pretend like they don't exist. You know, there's something really inhuman about that. I think often. So yeah, I like the way you've sort of phrased that. Yeah, I used to you know, teach social work and all the non-Māori that were in the room um, when I was teaching social work, I used to say to them, if if you're sitting at a table of power and decision-making and there's no other Māori or there's no Māori sitting there, it is your job as a bicultural te tiriti partner to ask, where are Māori in this? If, if Especially if you're talking about solutions or things that will affect tangata whenua. You need yeah. to go and ask where are Māori in this decision-making process and advocate for us, even if we're not there. That is, you know, that is a true te tiriti partnership. And, you know, there are some amazing non-Māori people that go and do that specifically. And, and it's not speaking for Māori. It's about saying, hey, you know, we need to have tangata whenua here, not in a consultation way, but in a real power sharing way and appropriate power, not just one person, <laughs> not just Better. one person there um, helping in um, that decision making, but, um, you know, decision making that has equity. Sure. So, so thinking thinking about all this, you know, if we're able to, um, when we achieve this, you know, create this equity, this justice, mm. um, what is your hopes, your visions for our rangatahi? Um, what would you like to see for them? You know, what do you want Aotearoa to look like for them? I want them to um, want what they want for themselves first and foremost, but I want an Aotearoa where people are healing where they have Modi order, where they're working towards Modi order, that they have connection back to Fenua, to Fakapapa, to Fano, Hapu and Iwi, and that they create legacies and mana motuhaki and recognize their own tinoranga tiratanga for their mokopuna, for their tamariki and their mokopuna. And that they recognize that they are rangatira themselves and that they embody that power and go out and heal and change their worlds and the world and any world they would like to change. Um, you know, and, and, and they do that because they fully understand the greatness and um, amazing papa and legacies and power that they come from mm. i love that that's so great mm. um so so moving i guess to uh ending youth homelessness how do we yeah. how are we gonna how are we gonna end youth homelessness be what's the plan well i wish it was up to you and i first of all aaron <laughs> that would be great Yes, um, yeah, we could do it by Friday, right? Yeah, if we were given that, um, if we were given the signing pen, um, 
Yeah, it's look, I'm I'm really hoping that you and I can do it in in, in what in our working life. Mm. Um that would be fantastic. And that's that's the goal. That by the time you and I, you know, um hang up our hang up our working boots, that you know, we've we've done it. Um, all of us have done it within the collective. Aotearoa has got behind it and, you know, that we've done it, that we've created massive change. It's not something that we can do alone. Um, we've got a whole lot of priorities around, you know, first of all, we need to deal with all the rangatahi that um, are demand, you know, th there's such demand for housing and homelessness is so huge um, for our rangatahi. So, you know, we need to kind of, look at um, addressing addressing that and making sure that our rangatahi have warm, safe, dry buddy in which to live in as a human right. So, you know, first of all, recognizing that housing is a human right, um, is a human need, and that everybody deserves that right. And I think Aotearoa needs to pivot and reorientate to that fact. But for our rangatahi, it definitely has to um, there's not going to be change without systems change, legislation change, which of course we're working towards with a number of, you know, different things in place, meeting with ministers, the great petition that you have, um, you know, instigated and we are all supporting as a collective, um, you know, making some noise about everything. But ultimately it has to be through many partnerships, partnerships with um, with the Crown, with the government, whoever's the government of the time, um, with the public getting behind it and demanding that our rangatahi, having zero, zero tolerance to our rangatahi being um, homeless, even for one night, should never be good enough, should never be okay. We should never tolerate that. Um, and also, you know, the amazing mahi that's happening within um, within iwi and urban Māori spaces around housing. And um, a lot of our iwi and urban Māori providers actually, you know, leading um, some solutions there. I think it's a combination of many things that's going to lead. And, and I'll probably missed a few, um, but that's just off the top of my head. Um, what would be, you know, some of the solutions that we could be working towards? You know, there are many, many um, pathways that, that we need to go down, go to the end of that road, you know, complete that hikoi and that journey and go to the next in order for youth homelessness to be um, prevented and ended. Um, but if the Prime Minister or other ministers actually picked up this kaupapa and, you know, put their weight behind it, I'm sure it would happen a lot faster. Yoda, not calling anyone out specifically. <coughs> uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it comes down to the Prime Minister. Yeah. She can write legislation right now. Yeah. And, and change everything, you know, and it is going to have to be legislated and it's going to be legislated about, you know, the current government's own policies and own mahi with rangatahi mm -hmm. and, and now tamariki because, you know, children turn into teenagers 
Um, no way. Not too sure. Right? Yeah, I know. Like, Shook. I don't know if that's kind of new to everybody, but or, or to you, Aaron. But yeah, that is what happens. I need to go but, talk to Summer. That's crazy. <laughs> those children that are in the you know child poverty um, bills, and you know everybody's. Um, putting lots of support, um, especially the Prime Minister around that, they become teenagers. Yeah, so she could create a lot of legislation right now mm. that would help to prevent and end youth homelessness. And we have an amazing city of Helsinki that has done that. There's no homelessness there. And um, we, we can follow suit. Mm. You know, there's countries that are starting to have a zero tolerance and are thinking very innovatively and creatively. But however we do it, we have to, you know, probably spend quite a bit of money now in order to prevent an end youth homelessness. Um, and all the research has shown us that actually if we spend that money and we put in that investment into our rangatahi, it's going to be cheaper than what's around the corner if we do nothing. It's the cost of doing nothing that is expensive. Mm, very true. And damaging. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's this uh, small, noisy little uh, collective group of people that is is trying to bang on about this. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about them? Or us? <laughs> talk about you, us. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Manaki Rangatahi, um, of course, is uh, this amazing collective that, you know, I'm just so um, proud to be a part of. It's a collective of the most amazing, um, passionate people. Most of them are young, which is great. <laughs> I'm not young. Well, you know, uh, for some people who are a lot older, like my mother would say, I'm, I'm probably young. But, um, yeah, mostly young people and those that are working in the housing and homelessness sector who have come together and um, have come together in Aroha, in love, in Manaki, um, to, you know, in, in support and kotahitanga and unity to try and make a difference. So, um, you know, we've done all the mahi, we've... Um, as a sector, we've looked at what the issues are. We've also created um, a whole lot of solutions and consultation with Rangatahi. And um, we're trying to make it happen. We're trying to use any means possible to um, draw attention to the issue and make change in the system. And, and what are our key priorities, Beth? Our key priorities are to increase the youth housing supply. Um, at the moment, we don't. And when I say increase the youth housing supply, I mean across the spectrum. We need we need youth housing for our um, rainbow rangatahi, for rangatahi with disabilities. We need lots of different um, housing options, tiny houses. We need, um, you know, a similar model to what, LifeWise is running there where we've got sort of independent living, flatting situations, lots of different options. Our rangatahi shouldn't have a one-size-fits-all option to choose from, so that's increasing the housing supply. We're also looking to um, understand the size and scope of the pro 
problems. So we have a scoping project that's going to be starting immediately. Um, where we're going to do some mahi within the collective with the wonderful Nawaya Tetui, the Māori Research Unit at Unitech. And we're going to be looking at, um, yeah, the, understanding the numbers, um, understanding um, what the problem looks like. But we actually need a bigger research project to be completed and a strategy. We need a strategy and an action plan. Um, we need a strategy and action plan alongside of the government because at the moment we are just a paragraph and a couple of sentences in the homelessness action plan so we need um, much more than that and and we're only in the homelessness action plan we're only talking about in there well HUD housing and urban development are only talking about in there um Rangatahi that are within Oranga Tamariki Care, a lot of our rangatahi come to us and they have not been in Oranga Tamariki Care. So those are our priorities. Why is, it, why is it important that we have a youth-specific strategy? Um, if we, and this is what has happened all of the time, if we have a, if we just lump in our rangatahi with adults, with adult solutions, um, we, we already know that's not going to work. Rangatahi do need their own um, bespoke and specific um, unique support um, around their housing and living situation. So, um, for instance, supported living, like most of the um, youth housing that's run at the moment, um, you know, it's very important to provide for our rangatahi because they're at that special and amazing time of their life where, um, you know, they are young, they're still needing some of that parental guidance. So, you know, again, there's, there's many layers and issues as to why our rangatahi need rangatahi-specific solutions and support that, you know, is coming from them, is about them. And also, at the same time, also supporting them to have reconnection back into whānau, hapu and iwi. So, yeah, there's, there's many, many reasons as to why we need a youth-specific solution. And we, and we talk in the collective a lot about collective impact, and you've already mentioned it. You know, we can't do this by ourselves. Um, why, why is collective impact so important? And, um, you know, why are we doing that? Yeah, well, that's... That's the really cool story about describing that to the collective when we sort of reignited the collective because um, the collective was already formed as a youth homelessness collective before. And so um, when I came into the role, we just sort of, you know, reignited that passion and um, the collective impact model that was out there that was already being used. And so, yeah, it's about, one voice is one voice you know me and you have two voices but if we all get together and use our voices as one um it's much stronger you know all the time at any time in any situation to have everyone working together as one especially when it comes to um getting some solutions to an issue and especially when it when it comes to trying to get those solutions in front of the government and ministers and out to the public. Um, that's always been the way. I always think that 
four people together working in unity can change the world. No different for um, what, what we're trying to do, but luckily we have more than four people working together. Sure. I heard someone say recently, the power of the people is uh, stronger than the people in power. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That, that's what we that's what we're all about. And all we've seen of that collective impact model um, that we have within Manaki Rangatahi is is all of the good stuff, all of the beautiful stuff that comes from that. There's been so many amazing um, follow-on effects from being a collective and using that model to make a difference all of us lending our voices, all of us applying that pressure, all of us um, working in, in harmony together. It's beautiful. It's just like, you know, that's what happens in nature. That's what happens in the animal kingdom. You know, everybody works in harmony together. And unity is a beautiful thing. And we can all work together to make, make a difference. Sure. Well, thank you, B. Thank you for everything you're doing and for, for leading us as a collective and, and um, being such a pivotal role in, in ending your homelessness, which we, we, we'll do at least by Friday noon, I think is the plan at this stage. Right. Uh, oh. is, is there anything last thing that you'd like to share with people? Any last whakaaro? Well, I suppose what I always share with people is that please come and follow us on our social media pages um, the Youth Homelessness Collective on Facebook and Manaki Rangatahi on Instagram, sign the petition you know come and come and join us, come and support and if you can talk to your MP talk to others about um, preventing and ending youth homelessness, our Rangatahi have very very silent voices when it comes to this issue and um, we need all of you that are out there, anybody that's out there to, um, you know, demand that our young people um, shouldn't have to be in unsafe motel rooms, shouldn't have to be rough sleeping, um, that we can make a difference. If you, if, if you, any individual person or any other group, um, you know, puts their weight behind this issue and, you know, demands for solutions, that we have a zero tolerance to youth homelessness. Thanks, mate. Um, and uh, to talk all of that, obviously. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your um, yeah your time tonight. I know you've been working hard all day to come and spend it with me, some more time with me. I'm sure you <laughs> sure you've loved that. Um, but yeah, of course. Cheers. Really, yeah, really appreciate your time. And we will, um, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up tomorrow. Well, I hope you enjoyed, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that quarter all. I mean, I, I know I did. Like, I really felt that it was, um, yeah, challenging and, uh, yeah, really, for me, a really meaningful quarter all a conversation would be. Um, how about yourself, Dale? Like, what, you know, you know, I think we're talking about before, like, me and me speak every day we talk about this stuff all the time so like how was it for you sort of like listening into that conversation i mean not eye-opening because of course we i talk to you about this all the time it's really hard not to have a heart for this and to see the need for it but man when you when you think about all that needs to be done it can be very hard to um to create a sort of i guess for 
I guess try and understand what what needs to be done. You know, try to get through those sort of I guess pie in the sky type ideas. Sort of bring it, everything down to reality, because so often you you know you just you just busy like I like I was thinking for one reason why we didn't even we've we've sort of had such a big big break is you know you get busy with, with work family and whatever else you you're doing but all this work that's that's important that needs to be done can seem so overwhelming and easy to kind of kind of push aside and sort of leave it to people like yourselves who are out there sort of sort of doing this every day but reality is we all have a part to play in it um it's going to take more than just you guys um, and i think that that's quite quite challenging the last thing she was talking about the sort of the, the co- collective impact yeah i found that quite challenging i mean this whole thing of collective impact is you know for me it's been pretty amazing to be a part of but it also is just such a reminder that like together we can we can make things happen you know like i think we've talked to, about some big issues on the podcast in the past and like how do you actually make change is a question that keeps coming back and to be honest it's together you know we actually can't do it unless we mobilize ourselves as a people and work together to achieve these sort of things. And it's been cool as being a, a part of Manakirangate to, to see how that change can happen, you know, when a group of people get together and say, hey, like, we're going to do something about this. Is it hard to get people sort of on board with, um, I suppose, creating a youth-specific solution um, instead of just a general wider solution? Because oh. before, like you were mentioning, you know, people always say, um, you know, adults are homeless as well, um, et cetera, so... Yeah. Do you, do you get a bit of pushback on that? Yeah, no. Nah. So what's interesting is um I think probably not in the community. Like as we have mobilized ourselves as a collective and we're, you know, starting to put out information and educate people, like it makes sense. It's mm. logical. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll get into we'll get into this more in depth in a future podcast, but uh we do know, you know, that over fifty percent of people experiencing homelessness. Are young people right so they're the vast majority of people who have this experience and this has been known since at least 2013 when the census information came out around people experiencing housing deprivation mm-hmm. um and in 2017 when the government really started mobilizing on homelessness that data really wasn't taken into account and all the responses that got pushed forward were very adult centric and neglected and ignored the needs of young people. And, and that's why we have this issue. We also know that our adult whanau who are experiencing chronic homelessness, a lot of them began their journey when they were young. So it just makes sense that actually, hey, if you want to solve the issue, you need to target those who are experiencing it the largest amount, right? The largest proportion. Mm. And also those that where we have the biggest chance of actually ending homelessness for Aotearoa in the future. So if we end youth homelessness, we end homelessness eventually. And so, yeah, I mean, when you sort of talk it out, it makes sense. We have really struggled, though, to get the government to acknowledge it and to move on it. You know, we've spoken to ministers about it, and there has been an acknowledgement that the need is there, but I guess a lack of commitment to actually roll that out. And we continue to work on that. I found that fascinating, the um, numbers on the amount of Māori people, uh, Māori young people who are homeless. That's huge. 80 to 90 percent. It's crazy. That's proportionate, mate. And this is mainly because we don't have one of the big challenges is we like no one's invested in understanding this issue deeply, yeah. right? So we don't have like great data, but you know that number comes from say the service that I run at Lifewise, um, and you know we just did the numbers exactly just this week, I think, and we you know eighty five percent of rangatahi reaching out to access our service are Māori. So at the moment you 
you know that that is the case but it's not quite why i mean i think i think what we would say in terms of the why i think it sort of points to deeper issues systemic issues in our country and i, and right. I would say that they trace all the way back to you know colonization and the land wars and you know the, the confiscation of land and the displacement of maori um during that period of time because that's yeah. had ripple effects throughout our history right you know as you know our tangata whenua were displaced and dispossessed of their whenua you know there's been a whole range of things that have happened for Fano, being moved around the place um sort of the poverty and the the i guess that has come about because of that i, I think you can definitely and there's there's a really great lecture which maybe we'll link um from dr moana jackson where he sort of pulls sort of traces the history of colonization and some of the laws that got put in place by government that uh, further dispossessed Māori of their land and prevented them from being able to build homes on their own whenua um, and has led us to the situation we're in today. Yeah, it's quite shocking when you hear some of the stories. I was shocked to hear the whole generational trauma thing after after listening to her, the whole DNA thing, <laughs> generational trauma being carried through DNA, them sort of tracing mental health issues um, through genetics. That's with it being as a result from trauma. That was crazy to me. I always thought of it as an okay, you you experience trauma, so you know that sort of gets passed down more just um, emotionally, you know, to the child. Not not that it being a biological thing, but it's so I mean, that's a huge thing to acknowledge <clears throat> is the trauma, right? Like, and this is the thing when we're thinking about a lot of these big issues, and that's why I wanted to start the conversation here because often we talk about homelessness as if it's this individual problem, right? So mm. it's this young person who's maybe making poor choices so they're homeless, or it's this whānau who are just, you know, dysfunctional and then we're homeless. But actually, like, when we start to look at the context of Aotearoa and we start to reflect on what happened, you know, in the 1800s after, um, you know, my, uh, my tūpuna, my ancestors breached the treaty, everything that happened as a result of the Crown's betrayal of trust to Māori, we start to see, hey, like, that stuff still is is happening now. You know, the, the ripple effects of what happened to Fano back then is still being felt today. You know, when I still mm. see like Māori Fano that are homeless, bouncing around from home to home, and then their young people become homeless as well, you can see like there's still something going on here. And that understanding of trauma, there's so much healing that has to be done. But a lot of Fano haven't had the space or the time to heal because they're still wrestling with poverty. They're still facing housing insecurity. You know, mm. um, they're still dealing with these like huge, massive mental health issues, and the system isn't set up to support them. You know, like we've had those conversations on the podcast before, right? Where you know we haven't actually put the right supports in place to support Fano. So I like I I always get talked about when we have this conversation. People are always like, oh. You know, where's the Fano? You know, they uh, obviously, you know, we wouldn't have it if the Fano were just better and blah, 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 you know. And there's all this blaming that goes on to the Fano or blaming that goes on to the young people, right? But actually, what I see is not Fano that don't care, but Fano who are actually really struggling. And for generations, we've disempowered our Fano. You know, we haven't provided them with the support. And, you know, then these things happen where like the Fano unit continues to disintegrate. And young people are forced to leave because either they're unsafe or the whānau just don't have the skills or the capability that, to care for their own young people. And then we blame the whānau for that. But actually, hey, like we've been allowing these people to live below the breadline. You know, we've taken their land from them. We've not provided the support. The Crown actually hasn't 
um, fully address the inequalities and inequities which have been going on in this country for generations and many of these issues which we created ourselves. And then we want to blame Fano for that. I, I don't think that's okay. I don't think that's right. Sometimes when you start sort of ad adopting and blending cultures, there's going to be times where there's something that people don't agree with um, or, or, you know, it doesn't quite gel with them, whereas they might be accepting of some other stuff. So how does that, how do you deal with that when I guess, I suppose Pakeha, there's maybe certain aspects of the way um, Māori do something uh, that they don't agree with. Um, yet you're wanting to implement a Māori approach. It's, it's, it can be difficult to adopt an approach without taking the whole thing, you know. Sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes just taking certain aspects, blending it with a, a different method can be, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't quite work out how <laughs> you deal with that kind of disagreement when you're trying to be a better partner. Um, like, like, does is the discussion equal? Is it is it really coming together hand in hand, or is it like by de when it comes to that decolonization? Is it truly a, a matter of starting from scratch? Well, um, you know, breaking everything down and then building together with what everyone believes in type thing or yeah i mean i think once again like let's just be honest like the conversation hasn't been equal it's been dominated by pakia right we've actually the ones who've held the power in these conversations and we've already skewed things our way right yeah and i think what you're talking about is sometimes a discomfort that often resides in i mean I, and i think it'd be interesting to unpack that with you because i'm interested in like is someone from like uh, outside of Aotearoa context hmm. that you still feel that discomfort, but I can just speak for myself. Like I think it has often for, for Pakia, Europe, you know, European Pakia, like it, it comes out of fear. There's this fear of displacement, <laughs> ironically, uh, this fear of, oh, we're going to lose power. Uh, what will happen if we do that? What are Māori going to do if they have all control? And I think the solution to that is education. You know, because I think that fear is misplaced. It's misguided. You know, the thing that I find like super interesting is that even though the reality is my ancestors have done some crap stuff and really hurt people and that that pain is still being experienced today, the majority of Māori that I speak to don't want to wipe us off the face of the earth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like actually they don't want any kid to be homeless no matter what skin color they got. You know, because actually the values that Māori hold, once again, they're human values, man. Like it's actually saying we are all connected in a way. We are all, we all have mana. We all have an inherent worth and value. And so everyone should be looked after. And so a lot of this stuff is actually things that actually across culture, we could really understand. But we're an Aotearoa. And so we got to remember that this whenua you know originally the partnership was between us and Māori and we have obliterated Māori culture um, to the point of almost extinction and we do have a responsibility as treaty partners to create space for the culture to thrive hmm. um, and I think as we start to understand it and learn it especially for for myself once again as Pakia, we we don't have an identity you know we struggle because you know our ancestors tried to forget who we are and we tried to forget what we did and why we came here. And so we struggled to find a place, but I think we can find our place in the treaty. We can find our place as treaty partners. And when we recognize that actually we're welcomed into this funeral in a new way. So I don't think it, you know, like that's what I, I, I can only reflect on my journey and say, actually, as I have learned and grown and stepped into Kōrero and and listened, that that fear has been able to dissipate. 
and I think same with others. And I think this is where it comes as a treaty partner. I don't think it's necessarily Tangata Whenua who should be leading this or need to be. I think treaty partner to treat, you know, like Pakia to Pakia, we need to have these conversations and we need to do the work ourselves because we're not bogged down with all the pain, the hurt, the intergenerational trauma. You know, like if you've got like, you know, one of my Māori brothers over there who's a bit like upset because a Pakia is trying to challenge you know, something that is like really core to who they are. I mean, they experience that sort of thing every day, you know, this this belittling of Māori, them, this belittling of who they are and their identity and this trying to push them into a box, right? So like you can maybe understand the anger and the hurt that comes from that. But as Pākehā, I think we got to be educating ourselves. we got to be learning and having these intentional conversations with one another on, hey, we need to grow in this space. Yeah. Tough when uh, it's pocket if you take them in the entirety with make up such a huge percentage of the population. Yeah. It's it's a lot of minds to to reach and to you know, when when particularly when people just focus on the future, you know, everyone that comes like that moves over here, immigrants that come over here, they mm. you know, they couldn't give two hoots. They only care about securing their future. And then I guess just Pakia, your European New Zealanders, a lot of them want to just look look forward, you know, just, just move together. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's one of our stories as Pākehā. We are a people of progress. We keep moving forward, and maybe we keep moving forward because we're afraid to look back and understand actually what we've done to the people and to the planet, right? Our way of being has been incredibly damaging, and I think we know that. I don't know. I feel like there's actually freedom in understanding a bit more of our history, understanding where we've come from, and then carving out a way for us to live here together in the future and i think it's important for pakia to really start to grapple with that because right now like as a people we really have this one narrative of uh, there's two that sort of we live out of it's like the colonizer and 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 that's often when we just keep focusing on the future we just keep recolonizing right we just keep taking over spaces we keep you know deriding maori culture we keep trying to like just look to the future and we continue causing harm right and that's a narrative we can live out of and a lot of pakia do and then there's a narrative that's i guess just one of i don't know how to name it but just i guess full of shame right we acknowledge what's happened but we're useless because we're just groveling all the time because we're so sorry right but we're not actually effective because we're not actually doing anything to change the way things are and then there's the narrative of tangata tiriti which is us as partners and I think as, as, you know, for myself, as someone who's got roots here and can trace my, my ancestry back to some of the atrocities that happened here, I think that's where I think we need to construct a narrative that allows us to be true partners and that can see ourselves as working together to be part of the solution rather than just always being the problem, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think if we do that, and that's where the conversation, you know, like I said, it needs to happen between then you know maybe there's a base there that as people are immigrating into the whenua for them to walk into but there's an opportunity there for the crown to lead that conversation set the tone and then welcome people into the land well yeah right right no does make sense look i think a lot of people also have i do think sometimes colonization is not not that it's overstated but rather that people become weary of hearing it (laughs) and that and that drives a lot of sentiment if you know what i mean like i i do but like, like i sometimes like sometimes it can just get when so you know when something becomes a buzzword and you just get you become sick of hearing it because yeah everyone uses it in sometimes very silly ways i yeah. 
I, I get that. Um, but I also think that sometimes that's that's the fault of people that want to ignore the issue. You know, like yeah. it's been made into a buzz thing because people are like, oh, colonization, this and that. But actually, I think what's more worrying is um, the generational impacts of poverty and inequality that Marta you're experiencing. The reality of colonization that's still happening today. The reality of the young people that are on the street tonight because of like generational injustices that have their roots in decisions that our crown made on our behalf, which we benefited from that's more exhausting for the people experiencing it than our discomfort in having these conversations. I think we need to be more honest about these conversations. We need to be a bit more mature because I think um, a lot of Pakia league conversations have made it into this exhausting conversation because we don't really want to sit and wrestle with the reality of what our ancestors did. So we try to detract from it mm. by getting maybe offended or exhausted, or maybe just don't talk about it, you know, that much or, oh, you know, did you hear that person? They were way too angry. You know, Māori have a right to be angry. The reality is if you, if you, once again, if you pay attention to what's and listen to some of these stories, you know, they're still experiencing this today. They can trace their suffering and the pain that their whānau are experiencing all the way back to decisions that our government made, which many of my ancestors benefited from. And I think that's, yeah. we, we, it's about reframing the conversation and recognizing actually who's, Who's suffering the most out of this? Yeah. It's like when I listen to those um to the people in South Africa say that the when you, you saw all those riots that were happening recently. And uh, I see a lot of people say, Oh, it's got nothing, nothing to do with apartheid and everything that happened back then. But it's like yes, it does actually. <laughs> like a lot of them say it's just pure lawlessness. It's just, you know, all these supporters of Zuma. But it's not. It's people just people who have nothing, um, and they have nothing to live for. Um, they have nothing to lose, and so they they don't see a problem in going to take a TV, going to take whatever. Mm. And you 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 see where they where a lot of these people who who are doing the writing where they live, and and all these all the townships that have just grown, 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 grown. All these people who when yeah okay apartheid ended, but their situation didn't improve. Yeah, they could get a job somewhere where they couldn't previously, but there's not enough. The cities aren't built for this uh, this population. You know, it's built for for minority, not the majority. And so mm-hmm. you have a lot of people that are just they're just displaced. They have nothing. the The unemployment rate in South Africa, what was it again? It was huge, absolutely huge. And among young people, that's crazy. Like these people have nothing, nothing to live for. They don't even have the prospect of a of a job and then okay yes they you know by burning down the shopping centers by by doing everything they're doing yeah they're putting more people out of jobs and all that kind of stuff but a very tough situation and a lot yeah. of it can be traced back to to that to the previous piece of suffering that, that the previous generation had dealt with and now the young people of today are still dealing with it yeah and and i think that's something that's important for us to you know wrestle with in our context as, as we've said sparky we're not good at looking back i think there's a fuckatoki and i cannot remember it well but it's basically like we walk into the future we walk backwards into the future with our eyes fixed on our past or something like that i probably botched it but basically like you know to go forward we got to look back we got to understand what brought us to where we are if we can't understand that we've got no hope of shifting some of these real deep and entrenched inequalities Hmm. And, and actually you know it's it'll be good for all of us you know like actually the system the way it is it's not helping any of us all of us are are being harmed and suffering due to 
the way the world is, right? And due to the systems that we've set up. And if we can start addressing some of those deep historical stuff, I think you know, we will benefit. Mm. I'm still, <laughs> still so shocked at the percentage that are Maori. Mm. It's just, yeah, just compelling. There's just no other ethnicities that are really, you know, really showing up. Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and, and it's, uh, it's across, like, look at all of the issues, poverty, prisons, population, yeah. you know, yeah. everything, like, Tangata Whenua are way overrepresented, you know, and we got to ask why, as we've been talking about, there's reasons for it, and we got to face those if we're going to go forward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like what you said about um, getting to a more Māori involvement. I mean, look, what she, was she talking mainly about within government or part of everything? I think, I mean, I think in all levels, I mean, I'm just going to speak from, like, the NGO sector, right, where I'm at, 80 to 90% of rangatahi experiencing homelessness are Māori, right? Mm-hmm. And so is it not right that their voices are at the table? Um, that people who understand and, and represent them and their communities are at the table, actually? Because otherwise, if we're just talking about people and not with them or to them, then we end up creating these... Pro- and often, well-meaning yeah, right. people get right. into yeah. these spaces and, you know, well-meaning Pākehā who have this real heart and passion for making change and make all these decisions, develop these services, and then, oh, actually, we didn't under, actually understand some of the core things that our people needed because we weren't listening to them and we weren't allowing them at the decision-making table, hmm. you know? And yeah. so Pākehā, often we dominate these spaces because there's so many of us and we don't actually make sure that it's a, it's a partnership, right? And so if we're designing services that 80 to 90% of a specific group of people are going to access, then those people need to be at the table saying hey this is what we need because otherwise we make mistakes and we create systemic issues mm. right yeah out yeah. of people and i'm not saying that it's people that are like saying oh yeah we really intentionally want to exclude people but that's what you do if your voice isn't on the table at the table then you're not going to be heard and yeah, so sure. like i think what b said there around <clears throat> like what can we do as treaty partners is making sure that both partners of the treaty are represented at the table and if it's just Pakia at the table then we're we're not doing partnership well mm. it's not a it's not a proper dialogue and we're not designing services or supports or interventions or policy that's actually going to reflect the need and um, actually be effective yeah yeah you feel like uh, at least with what you guys are doing that there is sort of a good amount of um, input from Maori within Manaki Rangatahi yeah. yeah yeah no we got a real like B leads us well right yeah. um you know, we've got a real strong focus on actually any response to youth homelessness needs to be driven as a treaty partnership. And we need to have really front and center Tangata Whenua leading the way. Um, we have a Tomata group, you know, uh, made up of our sort of our Māori collective members who are sort of there to be our guides and make sure that we're walking in the right direction. Yeah. So it's something that's really important to us as a collective. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you wouldn't be wanting anyone to get into, I guess, housing in general in a later later conversation you would too much for tonight would it oh yeah we can talk about housing all night so yeah, yeah. we will definitely get into housing a Save bit more things, as yeah. as the conversation goes on i suppose they will tie tie in with with strategy yeah yeah um, okay yeah no that was that was good because she covered <laughs> so much and it can be a bit overwhelming it's gonna be good to get into i guess different aspects and in, in more depth yeah at a later stage yeah yeah cool all right was there anything else you good no that's i mean that was great so we should probably i mean this is the this is the part of the show folks where dale and i start rambling 
and uh, it's really late. Oh, and the coffee's I cold. Ages ago, I started handling ages. <laughs> the coffee's <laughs> cold, and now you're probably already turned us off. So yeah, I mean, we'll probably leave you guys to your whatever time, day, afternoon, evening, breakfast. I don't know when you guys listen to us. Like whatever. We're gonna have yeah, like Dale said, we'll we'll have a lot more conversations, more quarter around this as we go on um love to hear like your feedback so please let us know like rate us review us on apple or wherever you do your podcasting and if you can like as we talked about sign our petition go to end youth homelessness uh, action station you'll find us sign share it start a conversation share this podcast start the quarter um, we'll link all that in the show notes and yeah if, when we post this up like if you've got questions if there's things that you want to talk about things that you don't understand like let's have a chat let us know love to hear from you but anyway that's us thanks for being with us and it's great to be back cheers cheers Limbs is silent the podcast rate and review us on itunes or wherever you are listening and join the conversation by following us on facebook twitter or instagram the music from this podcast is from the album dissonance by jess jackson and leon shelley listen to more from these artists on spotify